0: Welcome, listeners, to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. This is a podcast on high performance. It will be presented by myself, David Clancy, and my co-host, Kieron Dunn. What we're striving to achieve here is to figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why are they successful. Please rate and review, share with your friends, but most importantly, enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 63. Today we spoke to Emma Canning, Scottish-born track and field athlete, specifically a heptathlete who has represented Great Britain. Emma talks about adapting her training and mindset during this COVID-19 timeout. She then explains the specialities that she competes in and goes into detail about a potentially career-threatening injury that she has overcome. Emma discusses physical, mental, and technical competencies of her craft and how and when she knows she will excel in a particular event. It really is about preparation and confidence. Thank you for joining us, Emma, and looking forward to watching you compete again. High performance really is a lifestyle. Nice point, Emma. Welcome, everyone, to Sleep Eat Perform Repeat. Uh, It's David Clancy calling all the way from Dublin. I'd like to first say that Kieran Dunn isn't in studio today. It'll be just myself speaking to Emma Canning, Scottish-born Emma Canning, a heptathlete who is currently living in Paris and has such an interesting background in sports. So we're really, I'm really grateful and fortunate that Emma's on the line here. She's actually in Paris at the moment. So, Emma, how's life? How are you getting on?
1: Hi. yeah, everything's kind of. Um, obviously it's a bit strange at the moment with COVID nineteen, but yeah, I'm just kind of trying to stay positive and just yeah, like things don't really seem that different to me in a way. But um, other than obviously the training situation, but yeah, just I'm good. So um, yeah, everything's good here.
0: So let's talk to people that might know a lot about. What kind of sports you specialize in? Like if I wanted to go home an hour's time, talk to my wife and say, I just spoke to Emma Canning and she does this, 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 and this from high jump all the way to hurdles. Just give those people that mightn't have much of an understanding as to kind of your specialties in terms of athletics.
1: Okay, so I compete in the Heptathlon, which is an event in athletics, track and field. Um, and it's basically seven events across two days of competition. So we do four events on day one, which is 100 metre hurdles, high jump, shot putt and 200 metres in that order. And then day two is long jump, javelin and then 800 metres in that order. <laughs> so it's pretty long, but it's it keeps it exciting because basically until the final event, you don't really know where you're going to finish up. And that's the beauty of Heptathlon because... Anything can happen across seven events and basically you compete for points in each event and then at the end of the seven events all the points are kind of accumulated and you get a score and then that determines where you finish in a competition. So it's quite nice because there's not really the same rivalry in that sense with your competitors because it is down to like individual performance. So is really nice because you kind of get on with all the girls and you compete with them for you know, two days and it tends to be the same girls most competitions. So, yeah, it's like pretty chilled out. I really enjoy it. So um, And it's always different. You literally don't know what's going to happen. You can have one amazing event and one shocker. So it's pretty good. It keeps it interesting.
0: Like I'm always interested in hearing triathletes and how, how they, like my sister's a triathlete and how she manages to, work on each of the three really difficult disciplines individually and then combine them in order to be successful at the end but you're in a different stratosphere right because you're having to do <laughs> yeah. shot put and javelin which is pretty hardcore for upper body but then you have to be skilled to do hurdles which is pretty complex athletically and then do high jump what's it like as for a mindset in terms of having to work really hard on each of those disciplines I suppose if you don't do well on on one of them or two of them that's going to dramatically affect your score like is that right
1: um in terms of score yes. um not dramatically like I have had a couple shockers in a competition that I've thought okay like I'm just here to kind of float this one out but actually you know come the end of the event you're like okay it didn't really like impact too much I mean I guess it depends what you you do like I've had no heights and high jump before and obviously that has dramatically impacted my score because I get zero um but yeah I think like if you just kind of perform as well as you can in each one and kind of that's the good thing about it you don't really have to be like stand out in any performance but if you're kind of consistently quite strong across all of them then um you, you're pretty much okay but we train for that like we Our training sessions are kind of focused on, you know, we don't have to be killing ourselves to be um, getting personal best in every single thing. It's mainly about consistency. So, um, you know, we tend to train technically when we're tired as well because then we kind of get a better idea of how we're going to cope in competition because obviously if you're four or five events in, then, you know, you're pretty tired. So if you're always training fresh, then you kind of, I guess you would kind of fall into a bit of sense of like false hope, and and like that's how it's going to be in competition. When sometimes it's really not. You're just like at that point where your body's tired, your mind's probably tired, and um, yeah, it's just a case of getting through all seven in one piece.
0: Absolutely. Tell what, what's it like that you know you're you're kind of essentially specialising in in seven different sports, right? Seven different entities. Like, would you be able to? Compete nationally or internationally with people that just do the high jump or people that just do the long jump. Like, would you would you have that? I suppose level of expertise in the individuals, or is it more so you're you're pretty good across the seven? That's why you do 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 the seven of them combined.
1: Um, there's definitely combined events to do compete individually, and I have competed for Scotland in the past in both long jump and high jump. I, I think like. Every heptathlete or decathlete has their special, like, specialty event, the the one that they, you know, kind of stand out on. And I think, you know, although we don't train individually for each event, we still put in a lot of work for, you know, technical. And actually, a lot of the events kind of complement one like one another. So although you would think, like, oh, you're training for seven, you know, training for seven events does complement, you know, the high jump or the long jump because you're working on speed and power all the time and, you know, your strengths. And, like, I actually quite like competing individually and because I don't feel any pressure and I feel like, you know, people kind of look at you as like, oh, you know, she's the HITS athlete and there's not the same pressure in an individual competition, which is why I think, you know, like some combined eventers do excel individually because we don't have that pressure on our shoulders of like, this is our event. Um, I'm pretty sure we probably piss off and... Um, like individual athletes sometimes when we kind of rock up and do well. But, you know, it's just part of it. And we tend to use individual competitions for usually for preparation for a heptathlon. So, you know, if that ends up being an international that you get selected for, then it's kind of a bonus in our season. But yeah, just like, I actually do like competing individually because, you know, that that you do tend to get PBs as well because you don't have the other events in the way. Um yeah. so, and you know there's like I guess there's a level of expectation you know kind of like oh she only trains for this a few times a week so let's see what she can do kind of thing but yeah it's all just like good fun individual stuff
0: very good and and how did you how did you start your journey into being a heptathlete competing you know having represented GB even a couple of years ago obviously making it to a really high standard like when did this journey into this field of athletics start for you Emma?
1: athletic size it was definitely when I was younger Um, my dad was a runner when he was younger he did 815 so he kind of got me involved in running but I was doing 800 cross country when I was young Um, so I kind of come from like a long distance middle distance background and then it wasn't until I was kind of at school like primary seven maybe like which is around 10 or 11 years old if your um, school works different but um, and my PE teacher entered me into a combined event at the Scottish schools, but it was called the triathlon because it was three track events but I thought it was the running swimming and um, cycling so when she asked me to do it I was like oh yeah like because I, when I was younger I went to a swimming club and I could ride a bike and I could run so I was like yeah that sounds really fun and then it turns out that it was um, high jump shot putt and 600 meters um, at the oh, nice. Scottish, at the Scottish School's track and field so I was like really confused um, I had never high jumped before never thrown a shot putt before and I was super thin and weak when I was really young so I was just a runner so trying to throw a shot putt which actually now I'm still not very good at but anyway we you know we're working on that but yes yeah, so I was like not I didn't really think of it and I just loved that competition and like, I ended up winning that competition, which was, like, a really big deal for my school at the time because um, it was Scottish school. So uh, I kind of got into it from there, like, and then I just loved high jump. After that first time doing high jump, like, I just loved it. I was hooked on that. And then I just wanted to try everything. So that's kind of where I started. And um, my dad was kind of coaching me in the beginning because I didn't have a coach. So we would go down to, like, our local track and kind of practice the events as Best we could with what we had which wasn't very much at the time um so yeah i kind of have my dad to thank for getting me into it and then my school for kind of opening my eyes to all the different events so um yeah that's kind of where it all started back when i was like 13 maybe yeah 12 or 13.
0: and you and you won in, in the first time in something you'd never done before
1: yeah like it was a bit of a, a strange one because i think most of the girls that were in the competition had never done it before I don't yeah I don't really know I remember just like being pretty decent at high jump first time um, first time round I, I used someone else's run up on the day I was like okay I have no idea what I'm doing I'm just going to copy this girl who obviously knows what she's doing so I used her run up and then shot part obviously was horrifically <laughs> it was a disaster as Per, like I kind of realised at that point
0: someone out with the shot put that's what's important right
1: <laughs> oh it was just I mean still to this day like shot put is my worst event by a country mile like oh I used to dread it so bad Um, so I think that day kind of was the first indicator that throwing would not be my strong point however like with the 600 metres at the end I knew because I'd done 800 metres on the track a few times by this point I knew 600 was okay so I just kind of went um went went through it and that and ended up winning the competition which yeah I think even my dad was a bit like oh you just won Scottish skills,' and I didn't really understand like what that meant at the time but yeah I mean it was the first thing I'd won so I was pretty buzzing with that and then because I'd won I was hooked from that point <laughs> so yeah it was pretty cool
0: Say you're say you're not very good at shot put, right? I, I know so many who do shot put, it's pretty hard, right? It's way harder than people can ever think. And it's the, yeah. the, mechanics, the mechanics for me I find really awkward. But because you've acknowledged it's not your forte and you're really good at running and, and the jump you kind of got and you love it, do you then invest a lot more time in shot put trying to raise it or do you just kind of go, ah, you know, I'm going to work on the other stuff because I'm really good at the other stuff?
1: Okay so this is the thing when I was younger like probably up until the last two years I would avoid the shot part like the plague like I just could not get myself into the mindset to have a good session at it. I would like I really hated it and my ex-coach bless him he would be like trying so hard to kind of change my mindset about it but I just hated it I hated training for it I found it awful because I was so I wasn't like necessarily weak but I was just I just did not get the movement pattern and I worked with a specialist coach and I would make like a little progress but then we didn't train enough for it for me to like actually make any moves on it and then um it kind of got to the point where I was like uh, that's kind of all happened like um when I got injured and I had a bit more time to think about stuff and I was just like okay there's no chance I'm going to make it Anywhere, if I don't sort out my throwing. That goes for shot put and javelin. Javelin's also not really a strong point of mine. Um, and then I kind of had a lot more time to think and I thought, okay, I'm not going to, like, I just wasn't improving in the setup that, that I was in currently because I feel like both myself and my ex coach in that one event, we just weren't confident and we just didn't really know how I was going to overcome, like, these kind of mental barriers that I built up. So, actually, one of the main reasons why I wanted to move and like changed my whole setup is because I just needed some like I knew I had to work on my week events in order to move forward and um my coach that's now my coach in France, he has a reputation for being like he he was a particularly good thrower as a decathlete and um he has completely changed my mindset. I'm still obviously not throwing the distance in terms of like what I should be throwing at my level and my age, but in terms of mental progress i have come on leaps and bounds in the past year because he's just completely changed the way that we train and the way that i think and i i went from training for shortcut like once a week if that to, and we do and now we do like two or three you know sessions where it's focused on that and i'm actually really enjoying training for it and you can see that now with like distance is slowly kind of coming um coming through which is nice because i haven't had progress in that event for years. So it's really nice to kind of move forward with that, but it has been a real struggle in my career, the throwing. It's not been fun.
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice point for, for listeners, for young athletes listening to this, that here's somebody who, you know, struggled and found something really difficult, but rather than kind of avoid it, like the plague, which maybe she had done a couple of years ago, she embraced it as a weakness and and now is, is really working on it consistently and is starting to see dividends. So, that's great to hear Emma talk to us a little bit talk to me a bit about you you just said a couple of minutes ago that you love long jump is it high jump yeah why like what is it what is it about um, that that makes it different what do you love about that
1: high jump for me is probably probably my favorite event in the hip because um it's I, I just love training for it I don't feel like it's physically demanding which I know high jumpers if any high jumpers are listening they're like what? because it is obviously physically demanding like the training and stuff but our training for high jump is really fun and I just feel like so light when I jump and like I'm not the tallest athlete but I'm quite springy I've always been quite springy and I you know I, I've always kind of done quite well naturally at high jump so um, it's just a really fun event for me and I feel like you know even though you only improve your personal best maybe by one or two centimetres per year at this stage now. Like there's no, I think high jump personal best is like the best feeling ever because it's like you work so hard and it's maybe one centimetre, but that one centimetre could be like one year of work. Um, And my coach now in France, like we've kind of changed my technique and I'm starting to see, um, you know, real benefits to that. And I just like, I, I can't wait to get back high jump training. That's the one that I miss the most for sure. And my training group is like so hyped when we do high jump sessions, like everyone gets proper into it. And like, it's just really good fun. I just love it. And I love it in competition as well. It's really good fun.
0: When you're going around and maybe having that mentality that I'm good at this, you know, have a bit of a swagger, high jumps coming up, that's my thing. Is is it more like, talk to to me a little bit about is it because you think you're physically prepped for it, technically, maybe you're really competent, or just, Mentally, I've done it so well for so long. Like where's the balance between physical, technical, and kind of mental competency to make you feel I've got this, this is the one I'm gonna do well in. I'm confident.
1: Um, I think it is from just always kind of being naturally good at the jumps. It's really funny that you talked about um, you know, how you feel and how you look kind of confident and stuff like that because you can actually see, my dad has said it to me all the time, you can actually see a difference in my body language between the events that I'm good at and the events that I hate, aka short and javelin. I don't hate them anymore, but obviously I used to. Um, and I don't kind of have the same body language now. But previously, if you watched me as a junior, you, know, you could see the real difference in body language between the events. And I think it is just because I know that high jump and long jump and the 800s, you know these kind of events like i'm i know that i'm good at these events and i've never had you know mental struggles in these events because it's kind of been a natural movement for me i've never had to really work technically as such in these events obviously there are certain aspects that have to be worked like for me you know there's real focus on because i'm not very tall i have to really use the power and and you know get the correct angles in order to get the height because I don't naturally have the height so obviously there's like a lot deeper technical stuff that I work on but in terms of the actual jump and in terms of the movement and the way that my body moves like I'm quite a fluid athlete so these events suit me because high jump is very fluid you have to be very relaxed and like I think that's what translates the like you know that's where I get the confidence from because I know you know my body moves like that naturally so I don't really have to think about it and I can just enjoy those events whereas the ones that I have to kind of think about a lot and really, you know, think about, okay, what have we been working in training? I have to do this or I'll mess it up. Like I get, you know, quite pressured in those environments and, um, quite, you know, I just, I, I kind of go into, okay, I have to do this right. Rather than just enjoy, just enjoy what you're doing. Cause you know, you're quite good at it kind of thing. So I think that, that's the, the kind of different.
0: Yeah. It's kind of, I, I kind of heard that. Before. I kind of asked a similar question too. Professional baseball player a couple of months ago, a guy called Tim Rodriguez who was on this podcast and when he said he'd go up to the plate to hit a baseball that could be going ninety five miles an hour you know and dipping yeah. and moving serious velocity, he said the key for him to be successful hitting the ball out of a park was kind of relaxed confidence yeah and the fact that he knew going up he's done the prep he's been here before I'm comfortable here this is kind of where I want to be I got this and like his his swagger his body language his posturing it was all quite relaxed and chill because he knew he was ready to to um ready for that moment so yeah it's kind of nice to hear it in your space talk to me a little bit about you know you're you're not that old and you've you've done really well across different disciplines what was it like when you got injured and talk to me a little bit you know I'm a physio I'm kind of curious as about how you got injured, and kind of what was that journey like through the injury, and how did that maybe affect you at the other end?
1: It's kind of strange now thinking back to that time because when you're in when you're in it, you know you, you're not really thinking about how you feel and how you're how you're reacting to it. But looking back, and I realised how much I actually did struggle in that time. Um, my injury was quite serious. So in 2017, um, I had a stress fracture in my left tibia um which is like no. the shimbo yeah, that I had um pretty bad actually because when I first got the scan, well, the the problem was I was training through the pain. So my pain threshold when it comes to training is quite high. Like I don't well, I don't really tend to recognise um or distinguish like injury pain and just like training pain. Or I didn't previously I do now obviously um I'm a lot better at that But before, I just, didn't, I just thought, oh, okay, I've got a bit of a pain, but I'll just push through anyway, like it's all good. And that's probably the worst thing that I could have done because um, I probably just had like a bit of a stress reaction and it then turns into a stress fracture. Um, so basically, I had six weeks of, you know, just no exercise, well, no impact training. And then when I got my second scan the first year round, my doctor kind of was a bit concerned because the, the fracture was actually getting bigger even though I hadn't been training. So, um, and that was just down to the posi- the position of the fracture. It was right on the flex point of the shin. So even walking, like it was just not getting a chance to heal. So I had to have an operation in March 2017. Um, and that was really, really difficult because I just didn't quite recover from that. Um, I, I kind of describe it as I feel like the plate was screwed in too tight, which sounds ridiculous, but it's the only way I can describe the pain that I felt in my leg even after the recovery process i did all of my rehab properly i did it all at the hospital with you know the specialized doctor and physio and everything um and i got i was allowed to go back competing but and when i went back to training like i kind of went straight back and especially the jump you know i didn't feel like i'd been away but i just had this constant pain in my shin and i was like okay this just doesn't feel right like and i couldn't sprint or I was in one side of my body and everything. It was just horrible. And it actually took me until I was in the middle of a hectathlon in Tenerife in Arona. And it was quite a big competition. And I just said to my coach at the time, I can't, I can't finish this competition. And he was like, what? And I, I remember because I phoned my family and I was just like, I have to come home. Like, I can't even stay until the end of the competition. Like, I have to come home. I have to get out of this environment. And everyone was just kind of like, what's going on? Because I hadn't mentioned it, but I was in so much pain that I didn't even want to be on the track anymore. I was like, I have to change my flight. I have to come home right now. And Mm -hmm. obviously everyone was a bit like, what's going on? Um, So I flew home and basically explained, like, I'm in so much pain here. Like, I can't train. I'm not enjoying this at all. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I spoke to my doctor and then he was like, okay, we'll just take it out. But obviously, it means that you won't compete again this summer and you'll have to do all your rehab again and everything like that. So, I got the plate taken out, and I have to say, like, that was the best thing I could have done, like, because that recovery was so much faster. And then I went straight back into training basically, like, eight weeks later, I think, especially as soon as the um, scar had healed, then I was allowed to train. And like, oh, it just felt so much better and everything has gone smoothly since then. I've not had any problems touch wood, obviously, <laughs> um, with that. So, yeah, it was really, really difficult at the time and I questioned a lot about what I wanted to do. I was like, you know, because my doctor said um, we can take it out or, you know, maybe heptathlon is just not for you and you can specialise. And because there were some events, I didn't feel any pain. I just didn't feel like I was ready to kind of part ways with the heptathlon just yet. I was like, I've not, I know I've not um, reached my potential in this event. Like, you know, I just, I don't feel ready to leave. So I thought, right, I'm going to give it one more, one more crack after this operation. And if it doesn't work, then I'll, I'll specialise. But um, yeah, thankfully it worked out okay. And I'm still, still training. So <laughs> good.
0: Yes, that's good. Some story and like, did you have did you have like a fixator? Did you have the kind of apparatus around your leg to hold the plate in place, or was it just embedded kind of under the skin?
1: Um, it was just screwed into my bone, <laughs> under the skin. And I was warned pre-operation that because I'm quite thin, like there's not really any buffer between my skin and my bone, so like it could and it was kind of disgusting actually because you could actually feel where the plate was, um,
0: yeah.
1: and like, I have a really nice big scar down my shin for life. So, because it's been open twice now, it's probably never going to go away. But, yeah, it was just, like, screwed into the bone. I think it was, like, seven screws. So, there was, like, obviously the two big screws at the end, and then seven kind of screwed through the bone, which is kind of disgusting. But um, he actually asked me when he took it out if I wanted to keep it, and I was like, ew, no. Like, that's right. disgusting. I was <laughs> like, just keep that away from me. I don't want to think about it anymore. So,
0: yeah, have you heard? Have you heard of James Ellington? Have you come across that name before?
1: Yeah, the sprinter.
0: Yeah, so I spent a bit of time at him, and he he had ongoing issues with his his tibia. Oh, so I, he had an absolute I,
1: nightmare. I, I am yeah. his story is unreal. I don't think I've ever heard a story like that in my life. Like it's just, I was very invested in that at the time because it was around the time that I was injured, and he is just like insane. He's an animal.
0: Yeah, I, I was his physio. So. Oh, were
1: you? Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, I did not even know that well. In that's insane. Over a year in London. So, shout out to you, Jimmy. You were the first on this podcast back in the day because <laughs> what you're continuing to go through is pretty, uh, pretty extraordinary, man. Yeah, he's
1: insane. That's mad.
0: Yeah, so I, I feel for you. That's a, that's a tough one. I've, I've seen it in football players and I've seen it in, yeah. in track. So, yeah. it's great to hear you're, you're doing well let's flip it what about some um some high points talk share the listeners and myself kind of a couple highlights you've had in your in your career you know i love the fact that you said with those tough conversations with your orthopedic surgeon your doc i'm not finished yet i have more to do i haven't reached my potential talk to us about some of those points that you know you you really did well i just want to hear that story
1: but i think like there's been obviously a few, like a few points that really stood out for me and one of them was really early on in my career I was only fourteen or fifteen I think but I got selected to compete in South Korea um at the international children's games for high jump and long jump and I was just starting out as a heptathlete well it was pentathlon at the time because I wasn't old enough to do heptathlon um so and I, it was the first time I was away from my family. Um, like, or anyone, I'd never travelled without anyone, and I went there in the summer of oh, I can't even remember what year that's terrible, but um, anyway, I, I went all the way over there, and I, it was the first time that I'd actually felt adrenaline properly because I'd just been used to competing at schools and um, like kind of club level. So, this is like a big deal for me because it was kind of we were in Scotland at the time, and um. Yeah, I jumped a massive long jump TV. Like, I do not know where it came from. I think my TV at the time was like 5 meters 15 or something like that. And I, I jumped 5.42, I think, in the final. And I got a silver medal. And I was like, so beyond, like, I, nobody was expecting that because, um, like, I'd obviously never jumped like that before. And it just kind of showed, like, I was a real competitor. And it was the first kind of time that I proved to myself, like, I just loved Competition environment, like I proper thrived in that environment, and um, competing for my country. And the same happened in the high jump final. I jumped a really big PB. Um, I think it was the first time I actually jumped 160. And I was like pretty young at the time. And I was like, I hadn't really been training for high jump or long jump that long, like maybe a year and a half. And I was so excited um, that I'd gone there and jumped two really big PBs. And um, our really team did quite well as well. But that was like a major. Like that was my first proper experience of like international competition, albeit I was fourteen or something like that. But I just mm. loved that environment, and we were staying with all the different countries in a university, and we were there for like three weeks. It was quite long actually. And then yeah, I just like absolutely loved. That was like my first real memory of like sport and like, comp- like competing properly. And then um what else? Have I- like obviously, um the first time I competed for Great Britain in twenty fifteen that stands out like majorly for me because <laughs> I can't describe the feeling that I had on the start line and it was in France and in France like the competitions tend to start quite late. I don't know why but our competition started at like two in the afternoon and this was a pentathlon we were doing so it was five events in one day and my mum and dad had flown over it was in like the north of Paris which is quite funny because that's where I am now so it's kind of like I'm back to where I first competed like internationally for my country but. Um, it was like 2 p.m. or something the competition started and I remember just being so nervous but so excited and I ran like a really big T V in my first event and it was just like a really cool experience because you know actually getting like you know your delivery with all your GB kit and everything I was just like oh my god I love this <laughs> Like, I just love I just love and competing yeah. in general like it doesn't really matter where the competition is like I love nothing more than competing and it was so difficult for me for two years not to compete because it's literally I just love it I I, I can't get enough of it I'm always begging my coach like please can I compete here because like now we kind of get invites to places you know like just to do competitions and they're not always like majorly high standards but I just I'm always like please can I go here please can I go here and he's just like no it's not part of the program or you know we're working towards this one just like relax and i'm like oh i just want to compete every weekend <laughs> so kind of I'd, i have so many like highlights but definitely those two kind of stand out for me in terms of because it was the first that as a junior you know 14 year old that was my first kind of international competition and then the gb one was like my first proper obviously it was my first gb vest so they, they two definitely stand out the most for me
0: well, thanks for sharing that what what advice would you give to a younger self now or somebody who's 15 or 16 and is craving competition right like you it yeah. feeds off it, turns into a different animal altogether and right now they can't compete okay because there's this big thing going on in the world right now so what what would yeah. you recommend what would you recommend for somebody like that who? You can't maybe go out and do do the high jump, do the hurdles, do the shot put. Um, what could, what can feed into that competition so that so that that thirst is still being looked after, knowing that in time you'll get back to where you want to be on track.
1: Yeah, I think it's extremely difficult for any competitive athlete or competitive person. It doesn't have to be sport, you know. Anyone that competes, it's so difficult because this is the driver of our training like we train for that feeling in competition like so to be told that we're not going to have competitions, kind of you're kind of sitting there like oh so how like you know what am I doing all this for but for me like something that actually has really helped me is I have set like many goals in this like kind of quarantine period I guess you can call it like and it's weird because you actually realize like you can kind of get competitive regardless of not having competitions like Or get competitive. Like our training group have kind of set little goals and, you know, we're kind of competing against each other in a way. And, you know, it's just that competitive energy that I I thrive off of. Like I love being competitive. Um I love having something to kind of aim for. And it's really difficult because you don't know when we're going to compete next. But, you know, having small goals and, you know, having things that you can work on for yourself, knowing that when competitions come around you're going to be prepared or you're going to have worked on something that you know, it might have been a weakness or something that you don't necessarily have a lot of time to do in your normal schedule. I think that's kind of what's keeping me going and just know that, you know, there's so many other areas that you can kind of get a wee bit competitive in whilst we wait for competitions. But I totally understand like people are going to be struggling and, you know, people's motivation might be down. But just know that like especially for me, I've been through an injured period of like, you know, quite a long time and You know, just setting small goals and achieving them kind of satisfactory at this moment in time until obviously we know further. So we just have to work for ourselves, I guess. (laughs) Just now.
0: That's good advice for everyone. You know, keep working on the marginal gains, the kind of one percenters, the all the controllables sort of stuff you can control at the moment. So so don't stress about it. But there's an awful lot you can work on. You can work on your injury prevention stuff, your mobility. You can keep yourself supple. You can look after recovery. You can you can sleep. You can look yeah. after your nutrition. So there's still loads of things there that can help you Emma like, get better every day. Yeah. So that so that when the what's next, when we know the answer of what's next, and you can do it, you'll be you'll be more than ready to go. So yeah, that's cool. Wrapping up here now in a minute. I'm curious. You know, you've you've you, you've given a lot of great advice there. A lot more than maybe you even realize, right? To a lot of people. Do you have do you have any role models? Do you have anyone that you maybe look to um, or have looked up to in, in the last couple of years that, that's been somebody that's helped giving you advice as you've as you've matured and become successful in your endeavor?
1: Um it, it's weird because when I was actually thinking about who my role model would be, and it's weird because I actually it's not that I don't have one, but um I was very hooked on Jessica Ennis Hill when she was competing because I just think she's amazing and obviously she does my events so I'm biased but actually and there's another athlete that I kind of looked up to because I don't I don't know if you know um, Lolo Jones the hurdler yeah yeah, her,
0: yeah, yeah yeah Yeah,
1: she she's like super cool and she's also like had an extremely difficult career and like she's still training I, I think I actually think she's 40 I don't want to say she's yeah I'm pretty sure she's 40 and she's still training and I'm just like okay she never stops. but she's like I mean she's probably come over the worst because she was in the lead in an olympic final and stumbled and didn't medal and yeah that must have been so hard to come back from but I don't know I've always kind of looked up to her because I think she's a bit crazy and she's like she just keeps going I'm just like okay she never gives up like she like she just keeps going and going and going and she's had so much backlash from people being like okay, the dream's over, like, give it up. And she's still training. So I'm just like, okay, she's pretty cool. So I don't know, like, I don't, I guess, like, I don't really get too caught up in, like, what other people's journeys are like. I think it's super inspirational, obviously, to see people. I love hearing stories of people that have kind of come from nothing to becoming, like, champions and stuff. I love autobiographies. I love reading things like that. Um, But I, I don't know. I feel like everyone's journey is so different and, like, everyone has their own reasons for doing things so i don't know i've just kind of been caught up in my own whirlwind of sport i guess and just trying to take you know advice from anyone and everyone about you know it doesn't have to be sports people but you know business people and i've spoken to a lot of business people who have obviously um gone through setbacks and you know i actually like taking like listening to everyone's story it doesn't have to be sport related because i think you can learn a lot from just um people in general and their kind of walks of life so I'm always all ears for anyone who wants to share their story um because you can learn a lot without even realizing
0: absolutely that's that's really amazing advice actually that's that's in essence why this podcast started because I wanted to be able to translate lessons from sport to business and from business to sport and arts and storytelling and the military and how can we how can all these diverse sort of people learn from each other to raise their performance and, yeah. and understand each other a little bit more? Um, I'm going to ask you a tough one. Two more questions. Okay. This is a difficult one for you now because you're, you're, you're coming across extremely humble. Yeah. But say, say somebody wanted to write a biography about Emmett Canning 15 years from now, 20 years from now, and that biographer is going to look back and say, Emma was this, you know, this is how she identified herself. This is the legacy she left. This is what she was all about. What would that kind of one-liner be or that caption? You know, what would you like people that maybe are looking at you now and saying, you know, I I respect her. She's doing really well. What would you like people to say about you?
1: You said one line, but I don't think in my whole existence I've ever answered something in one line. Like I'll actually find it impossible, but I don't know. That's okay like I just think well I know like I've obviously spoke a lot about kind of sport and highlights and all that kind of stuff but you know there was a period of my life and you know I was maybe about 16 or 17 and I just had no idea what I was doing because I was in school and I was like I just want to do sport but I I realized that there's so much more to that and like nothing like you know everyone has the things that you know, their challenges and stuff that they've gone through I just think like have fun. That would be like literally my advice would just be en- enjoy what you do because it's so obvious when someone's enjoying what they're doing and it's so obvious when someone's not. And I just think, you know, you should just go to bed at night and just think, okay, do I actually am I actually enjoying what I do? And if it's yes, then just keep doing it. And if it's no or you start to question it, then there's always something else. Like and don't feel pressure to stick in at one thing if it's not, you know, and don't feel pressured if if you're starting to kind of grow away from something else or you know you you start taking interest in something else like my advice to people would just be and it sounds so cliche and I actually hate when people say oh just you know as long as you're enjoying yourself then that's fine but really like it's so obvious when you're enjoying it and it's so obvious when you're not and I think it was really obvious when I was struggling even though I tried so hard to make it look like I wasn't but yeah I think if anyone that knows me knows that I'm just all about being crazy and fun and enjoying what I do, but when it comes down to it, I can focus and yeah, I think I don't know. I don't even know if I answered your question there, but <laughs> yeah, well, one well, you, line one line is not of, for me.
0: Yeah, you kinda of went around it, but you you know, you have to at the end of the day what you said there was enjoy the moment to make sure you enjoy doing what you're doing. That's that's pretty good advice I think for anyone. Yeah. Um, and that's what you do. So anytime I have everyone on this podcast, be it from wherever they are, we, we always finish with a simple question. So, for you, Emma Canning, thank you very much, firstly, for taking this call today. What does high performance mean to you?
1: High performance means to me, um, God, <laughs> it's just—I think—being dedicated, being confident, um, you know, focused and driven. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You know, you have to have kind of these qualities that get you up in the morning. You know, get you pushing towards your goals. And yeah, I think it just you know, high performance is a lifestyle, I guess. Like you can't be a high performer unless you, you know, have all these kind of outside pieces joined together. So it's not just about the one thing that you're doing, whether that's high performance in business or sport, you know, it's not just about that. It's about piecing everything around it together and making sure that they all kind of join um, in one and that allows you to compete or, you know, perform at, at a high level. So I guess that's what it
0: means to me. <laughs> that was excellent. If whether you've re- rehearsed it or not, but a lifestyle. No, I like, I love yeah. It. yeah, I think it's a lifestyle. I'm that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna take Emma,
0: that one. Emma Canning, thank you very much for um taking the time to come on Sleepy Performer Pete. Hope you enjoyed it. I certainly yeah, did.
1: Yeah, thank you so um, much for having me.
0: Yeah, best of luck. Stay stay well. Um, Thank you. you Hope hope the quarantine gets lifted for you soon and for for me and for everyone else. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about your story moving forward.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com spelt h-a-u-o-r-a-life.com please rate, review and share the podcast some people want it to happen some wish it would happen others make it happen the goat, Michael Jordan